0: Second Peter chapter 3, <clears throat> time and the eternal God. It's just what we want to look at for a little while this morning. Just let's seek the Lord, please, in a word of prayer. And uh, let's seek his blessing upon the preaching of the word. Father in heaven, we do bless thee again for the hymns of Zion, the psalms that we've been singing. And Lord, we can rejoice that the Lord is our King. And O oh, Father, we praise thee, Lord, for the great truths even found in that hymn. And we thank thee for the reading of the scriptures. And O oh, God, we pray that we might rightly divide thy word. We do not, Lord, want to be like those whom we have read about to rest and twist the scriptures of truth, even to their own destruction. But O oh, Lord, that Thou would teach us. Now would Lord give us the help of the Holy Spirit this morning. Thou would give us help in the pulpit, Thou would give help in the pew. And O oh God, that Thou would, Lord, be pleased to apply the word as is the need to each and every heart. To that end, fill us with Thy Spirit and with power. Give us words that must and shall prevail. Give us those prevailing words, we pray. We ask in our Saviour's name. Amen. How often we hear people say, Isn't it wonderful how time flies? It is usually at this time of the year that we take occasion to reflect upon what has been in the year that has passed. And for some this year may have passed by very quickly. Maybe I might suggest for a lot of us. But then for others, maybe the young person at school and time seems to drag. Especially if they're doing examinations or so forth. But understand that what seems forever for us is but a short time with God. Just an hour may seem an eternity for a child, but a moment for an adult. And yet in the midst of our reflections, we must thank God for his faithfulness and for his preserving hand which has been upon us and upon this witness. We can say that God has answered prayer in our own lives. We can thank him for the need of grace which is extended to each and every one of us, particularly at those times where it seemed that we were traversing through the valley. And looking back, any, for any believer, there will be included in that the regrets and those times when we feel the Lord. Our souls have been grieved at our own sin. Our souls are grieved at the sin and the ungodliness that abounds in the world in which we live. People have turned away from the Lord. Apostasy has deepened and there's been the signs of it. And yet, men and women, that is what is in the heart of the Apostle Peter. As he draws near to that time where he would lay down his life for his faith in Christ. You turn back to chapter 1 and the verse 14. It says, knowing that shortly I must Put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. He knew that his time was running to an end. And you remember how the Lord met him on that seashore, the last chapter of John's Gospel. And he was to restore him into the work. And he was to indicate to him even there of how his life would come to a conclusion. The perverters of the gospel had come in. And Peter's concern concern was for the well-being and for the witness of the church of Jesus Christ at large. And to that end, he seeks to remind God's people of the great truths of God's word that solid foundation upon which they could rest and upon which they could meet every challenge and in particular he does so by quoting some words from the psalmist all time is as nothing to or nothing before eternal All things are equally near and present to his view. He is the great I am of the past. He is the great I am of the present and the great I am in the future. He's everywhere in space and he is everywhere in time. And I want us to consider with Peter time and the eternal God as he brings us to the verse 8. He says, but beloved, Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You'll notice there that he indicates something of the ignorance of man. There's something which the apostle doesn't want the people to be ignorant of. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. And that implies to us, of course, there are things which men are in ignorance of and equally the false prophets which he has referred to at the start of chapter 2. They can be easily discerned. There are those who are unscriptural in their doctrines and generally unclean in their living. You just look at it with me. There were those, chapter 2, verse 1, That is 2 Peter 2 verse 1. Verse 1 says, But there are false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false prophets among you, teachers among you, who privilege shall bring indomitable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So they denied the Lordship of Christ. They lived also... Open uh, an open life of immorality. Look at verse 14 of that same chapter. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices cursed children. They are those who are also full of high sounding doctrine. Look at verse 18 for when they speak great swelling words of vanity they allure through the loss of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. They were those who pretend to pay respect to the Word of God, but they're found to constantly pervert the Scriptures, twist the Scriptures, to support their own iniquitous notions. We've already read verse 1. You read verse 16 of this third chapter. And also in all his epistles, Speaking then of those things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other Scriptures, unto their own destruction. He's indicating something of what Paul has wrote in some of his epistles. He does the same himself. There are those who are unlearned, unstable, and they rest, they twist to make the Scriptures speak their own notion, but it is to their own destruction. And they are those who scoff at the truth of the Lord's return one day as judge and as king. So men and women, can I just recap? The false prophet is easily discerned. If you read the Scriptures of what Peter has spoken about them, even in chapter 2 in particularly, uh, you will see that they're easily detected and they stand out for those things. In verse 5 of our chapter, he uses the word ignorant again. And he's speaking of those ungodly scoffers who are casting off the promises of the Lord. For this they willingly are ignorant of. They cast off the promises. They don't want to believe the truth. Peter illustrates some of those truths which they didn't accept. Men are ignorant of creation. Verse 5. Yes, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. By the word of God. The heavens and the earth were created. Same truth, of course, I've made reference already to the psalmist and he brings it out in Psalm 33 in the words of verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. We know from the opening words of the canon of God's word that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We know by the biblical account that all things came into being by the spoken word of the living God. God was to say it, it was done, and it was all very good. But today, as in the days of Peter, there are those who are willingly ignorant of creation. They do not want to believe that by the word of God all things were created. They do not want to believe that the world was made by the greater and the higher superior being. And therefore, man in his foolishness will rather turn and latch on to his own reasoning and speak of theories as to how this whole world came about and was formed. They do not want to believe in the creation account for that will mean they will have to stand one day before that great creator God. Tell me, do you ever see or hear uh, so much ignorance abroad as there is today about creation? And even among those who profess to serve the Lord. You know, when Darwin's book came out on the origin of species, it was denounced from all pulpits across the country. But the managers of Darwin knew that would be the case. And so, expecting such, they sought for a prominent clergyman who would endorse his writings. And they found one. He's called Charles Kinsley. He was a curate. And he was even appointed as chaplain to Queen Victoria. In a letter to Darwin, he said, this is what he said, I wrote, and I quoted, All I have seen of it awes me. If you be right, I must give up much that I have believed and written. Isn't it ironic that after his death, a bust of him was placed in the window in Westminster Abbey? which is there to this day and is but a short distance where Darwin himself was interned. You see, men and women, the point is this. If you want to get a bust into a citadel of apostasy, that's what you must do. You must deny the Word of God. You must deny the truth of God's written Word and the God who made all things. Peter alludes to the ignorance about creation. He alludes to another ignorance that it was abroad, and that is to the coming again of the Lord. There were the scoffers who, because they could not see anything happening for 40 or 50 years since the Savior made mention and promised that he was coming again, they didn't see anything happening, they didn't see any change, and so they dismissed his word altogether. They willingly were ignorant to the truth that the Lord is coming back again. But this is something which Peter seeks that the people of God would keep focused in their minds. They were to be steadfast and sure in that what the Lord had said he would perform and he would keep his word. So he speaks about those who are ignorant about the Lord's coming. And there's something else they're ignorant about. And that is the condemnation of this world. Verse 6. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store. Reserved on the fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. the world was destroyed once by a great flood. And all who were not in the ark perished. And God promised that he would never flood the world again. Now you remember that. Because that's not what the climate changers would tell you today. And they formed their big conferences and spend millions of pounds setting them up to talk a load of nonsense. God has said he'll never flood the world again. But men and women, that day is coming when the world shall be dissolved and it shall be condemned by the fire from heaven, as we've read in verse 7. And until that day comes, the world groaneth and the ungodly do so as well. The, the godly do so as well. Romans chapter 8. Uh, look at the words of verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until, together until now. It's like the, Paul is writing the whole earth creaking. You have these natural disasters and all of that and it's groaning and it's prevailing and not only they, he says, but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit of the redemption of our body. The old world is waiting for the return of the Lord because that's when our soul and body will be redeemed. And when the Lord appears... It will be to judge the world and the ungodly who willingly refuse his message and his full and free salvation. They will see, they will know his coming. Second Thessalonians chapter one verse eight says in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. He's coming to judge the world. Is it any wonder then that the Word of God encourages the people of God? To keep loose ties to this old world. It's going to be wound up. It's going to be destroyed. We're a a year closer to it. Than we were this time last year. There's a better place awaiting the people of God and glory. Oh, but many are still in ignorance to these great truths. Many have passed away the notion the Lord is coming back. He's coming back to judge the world in righteousness. That is why there's much sin. That is why there's so much ungodliness and wickedness abounding. Another year has passed and with it, there's more evidence of the ignorance to the truth of God's Word. But we are not to be those who are ignorant of these things. Of God's creation, of God's Son, he'll come back again as judge, and the old world being destroyed. I want you to notice not only the ignorance of man, but there's an expanse of time here that Peter writes about. He sought to impart to these believers the fact that time with us is not time with God. They weren't to be caught up with the skeptics and unbelievers of that day who dismissed the idea of the Lord coming back just because it hadn't happened. And therefore to impress this upon their heart and mind, Peter here speaks about a great expanse of time in my text. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. These are words which impart the truth to us that time means nothing to God. He's the eternal God. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the beginning and the ending. He is which was, which is, and which is to come. Don't be reading Hebrews chapter 13 of Jesus Christ to see him yesterday, today, and forever. With the passing of time, there comes the changes. We, we stand on the very threshold of a new year. And as we reflect upon the year that has been, which is nearly over, how many changes have come in upon us? Whether we think of it on a personal note, another year older and the years soon start to tell. And there have been the changes in the church, both physically, where some no longer meet with us because of death or infirmity, and also spiritually where, thank God, His grace has been evident in the lives of some. And I trust that if you were able to look back, child of God, in this year, it has been a year of growth for you. That ought to be so. We can't stand still. If we're standing still, we're going back. But if that was the case, as you have your reflections, whether it's on a personal note or on a congregational note, as you have those reflections and so many changes were a year's concern, how much so were a century's concern? Our life has started how life has changed since the start of this century. How things have become more complicated and computerized and documented. How the pace of life seems to have quickened immensely. And you know, our lament is often this, of have time for no one and we have time for nothing. You ever think of that? We have cars lined up on the street, we have computers to do all the stuff. I'm of time for no one, nothing. Still, and there there are the changes over the expanse of time of which Peter has mentioned here, a thousand years. But something which we need to remember is that while we live in the midst of a changing world, and while people even change themselves, there's one who knows no change, and that is the eternal God. He abideth and remaineth forever the same. And I take you to that psalm where. Peter has quoted from Psalm 90, which we sang this morning. You look at the words of verse 2. He says, Before the mountains were brought forth, ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Before even the mountains were formed, God was. And he knows no change. That means, of course, if you want to apply it and we would do well to do so, his love knows no change. He loves you the same today as he did in eternity. His mercy and his grace are the same. His hatred against sin is forever the same. If God judged some sin in the days of the biblical narrative then you can be sure he's still against it. He still will judge that sin no matter if it's politically correct or socially acceptable or not. God is still a holy God who is against sin. He hasn't compromised his principles or his standards as men are prone to do. His eternal purposes and decrees remain the same. What his heart has said to do, it shall be done. With God, men and women, there is no limitation to time. With the eternal God, the past, the present, and the future are but the same before him. And all things happen according to his great plan and providence. Part of that plan shall be, I believe, if we consider some words in our text, A thousand years in which Christ himself shall come and he shall reign in this kingdom. During that time the devil will be bound. He'll be cast into the bottomless pit and he will be let go only for a short season only to be destroyed and confined to the lake of fire along with his angels on the ungodly forever by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But don't take it from me. Take it from the Word. You just turn over to the last book of the Bible in chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Look at just the opening three verses. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. and He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil and Satan. So we're in no doubt who he is talking about here. And bound him a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. And set a seal upon him so that that he should deceive the nations no more. Till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. Now if there are are other views of course of eschatology. The doctrine of the last days. And they don't believe a thousand years. But men and women it's only if you hold the view that there's a thousand years coming when Christ shall reign on this earth, that we actually know and are able to work out when the Lord is going to come back, because He's given us all the events leading up to that a thousand years. This still must be future. For as I look around as you do, I do not see any evidence that the devil is bound in this world. In fact, the opposite seems to be the case. He knows his time is short. And so he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. For that thousand years to have commenced, then the Lord must have returned first. The Antichrist, the final Antichrist, must have appeared upon the earth... And there must have been those seven years of tribulation like no other time which will be cut short for the sake of the elect by the coming again of the Lord. Those things must have taken place, but they haven't done so. And that's why we can say they're still future. These things are still to take place. But remember the words of Peter that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And conversely, a thousand years is one day. An expanse of time as we know it has no effect upon the unchangeable God. And that ought to instill upon us a holy awe and a reverence and a fear of God. The heaven of heavens cannot contain them. No great expanse of time has any effect upon our God who is eternal, who is immortal, who is unchangeable. And that is the spirit in which we ought to seek to worship our God. We're creatures of time. Remember what Peter says. A thousand years doesn't mean anything to the Lord. It's just as one day to us. And I want to close even with that very thought. I want you to see here a day with God. For we understand further that God, because He is a supreme being, because He is infinite and eternal, He can do more in one day if it is His will than man could see done in a thousand years. And you know, throughout the Word of God, the word day is found many times. But it's often found in connection with God. That scene, of course, as we've made reference already to the work of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, the word day is used, and it is even defined for us because it is by evening and morning. The evening and the morning were the fourth day, and so forth, or the fifth day, or the sixth day. And for each of those six days of creation, the same phrase is found in which God was to create what He did and it all is within order. In other words, He didn't create man before He made the world in which He could place man. God is a God of order. And these were ordinary lengths of days as opposed to long periods of time as the skeptics and the evolutionists may suggest. And there's even those who will turn to our text to try and substantiate such an argument. They have no foundation in doing so. For the context of verse 8 is not referring to Genesis or to the six days of creation. Furthermore, the verse uses a comparative. In other words, Peter is not saying that a day is a thousand years. But his words are comparing a real literal day to a real literal thousand years. And in the context of Christ's second coming, he's saying that to God. A day is like or as a thousand years. Because God is outside of time. What may seem to be a long time to us as humans, or a short time for that matter, is nothing to God either way. I reference again Psalm 90, this time verse 4. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. And I said, I I believe Peter has made reference to this as he writes this final piece in his epistle. But if you look and if you consider Psalm 90 verse 4, you'll see there that a thousand years is compared to an even shorter time than a day. He says, for a thousand years in thy sight, in God's sight, are as but as yesterday and when his past is gone. And as I watch in the night... It's like a watch in the night. And a watch in the night was about four hours. And a sentry would come on for a shift and then he would go home again. That's so much shorter than a full day. If my text is used to claim that a day in the Bible means a thousand years, then to be consistent we'd have to say that Jonah was in the belly of the wheel for three thousand years. Or would have to say that Christ has not yet risen from the dead. You see, that's how nonsensical the evolutionist arguments are. Because they will spin the the word, they will twist the scriptures and, and say that the days in Genesis 1 is not really a literal 24 hour day. But you've got to be consistent in the rest of the Bible. The word day is used in creation, yes. The word day is also used when God speaks about judgment. You see, it's said to be a day of judgment. We've seen that already in this very chapter. You'll see it also in chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly art of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Now, the judges of this of this province even, would find it very difficult to conduct all their businesses and all the cases in the space of one day. But that's something that the God of heaven will do, of the whole world. For he is God. Acts chapter 17. And we refer to Paul's writing, as Peter mentioned there in that third chapter as he does. You look at the words of verse 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at him, but now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised Him from the dead. So we know there's a day of judgment coming, and we also know who will be the judge on that day of judgment. God assured us he's raised him from the dead. It's his own son, Jesus Christ. For he is God. Day is used for creation. Day is used for, to speak of in connection with judgment. Furthermore, the word day is used by God in speaking of the time of opportunity. For men and women to receive Christ and be saved. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The unsaved are not to boast themselves of tomorrow. The unconverted may never see 2024. It is only now, this day, that God has so far given to you and he seeks that you would not put off to another time what you know you ought to do now. Because there's the urgency of the matter. How many of God's servants have labored for years to see souls gloriously saved. Many times they have only seen a few. We can read of missionaries and they've served maybe for seven years before they had one baptism. That doesn't say they're unfaithful. We recognize the words of 1 Samuel 14 and 6. Jonathan said these words, It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Dear people, God is able to stretch forth His merciful hand in salvation. He's able to save more souls in one day than there's ever been even over a number of years. Wouldn't we welcome such a time like that? Man can only do so much in a day. Time is constraining with him. And your lament will be the same as mine. I didn't get that done today. The clock beat us. But with God, he does whatsoever he pleases. He's not confined to a clock or by the limitation of the body. And I trust that this day, this very day, the 31st of December 2023, will be a day with God where you are concerned. We're still in the day of His grace. If you're not saved, then seek the Lord so that this will be the day of your salvation. The day when you received God's offer and accepted his free gift of salvation through his blessed Son. We do not know what lies ahead of us. None of us do, preacher included. But what comfort, what blessing, men and women, it is to know him who holds the future. And our God knows the end from the beginning. Oh, that we may rest ourselves on this truth. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. That's the God whom we worship this morning. May we end this year in blessing. May we enter the beginning in his will of a new year in the blessing of God who maketh rich and addeth no sorrow to it. Time. And the eternal God. Do not think that God has forgotten his promises. He's not slack. As men count slackness. He's long suffering. You're unsaved. He's been on long suffering with you. Maybe he could say another 12 months. Yet you've still rejected him. Will you not come even today? Repentance and in faith, dear child of God, He's been long suffering with us as well. Maybe there's one that you need to get back to where you were with the Lord. You're not in that place where you should be. The Lord is merciful. And he can restore unto you what the locust has eaten away. May you come and know again the full joy of his salvation. May the Lord bless his word to every one of our hearts this morning. For his own name's sake. 443. <clears throat> Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side or patiently the cross of grief or pain, leave to Thy God to order and provide, and every change He faithful will remain. Four four three, page three five five, and stand as we sing. Lord we thank thee for thy word that we do worship an eternal God a one who a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day Lord we thank thee there's no limitation with thee and we pray Lord that we might live our days as days with God that Lord we would something of even Enoch about us who walked with God and he was not for God took him Father, we pray, Lord, that we might rest our confidence on the great truths of God's Word. Thy promises are unfailing and thou art not slack concerning them. O God, we thank Thee that Thy timeline is up to date. And we pray, Lord, that we might live our lives in the light of the great eternity to come. Speak on to our hearts. Challenge our souls afresh. Speak to the unsaved. This might be the day of God's salvation for them. For we ask these things as we part one from another for a little while. We ask these things in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen.